I'm yeah, I I could do this for three weeks. I'm telling you, I could eat a kilogram of meat every single day. Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. David versus Goliath in the Bible, the Irish against the English in 1921, the Pittsburgh Pirates against the New York Yankees in 1960, Buster Douglas against Mike Tyson in 1990, Jim Levenstein in American Pie, Kanye West against Taylor Swift in 2016, and finally, finally, after all these years, Manchester City against Barcelona. Yes, it truly warms the cockles of your heart when an underdog comes out on top, especially when that underdog has a net spend over 500 million over the last five years and is bankrolled by a bottomless pit of money. Here to talk about all of that is Fabian Gorsler. Hey. Nico Durban. Good morning. And this, in a very special for you listeners, fresh from cheating on us with Outside 90, <laughs> it's Paddy Higgs. I was wondering why I was last. Normally I'm the first one off the rank. Were you getting a bit worried? Yeah, well, you know, like I just sort of thought maybe I'd been relegated down to the to the Championship or League One in my absence. And well, um, This is what happens when you go on other podcasts <laughs> and make yourself unavailable to us. i just got to spread myself around, mate. There's more than enough to go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, before we get onto the main part of the pod today, um, let me have a quick talk with our listeners could you please go to itunes subscribe to the podcast rate the podcast and leave plenty of mean comments to let us know what you really think if you do the powers that be have promised we'll never have to do halloween again halloween of course the crappiest of all the public holidays not even a public holiday it's not even a public holiday yeah. man. or in germany well that's why i noticed it's not really a big thing in germany is it well the issue in berlin is that like there's a different holiday in Germany, right? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a religious one, um, so it's just kind of coincidence that it's the same day with Halloween. Yeah. And there are states in Germany that do have that holiday, so they celebrate Halloween a bit more because they have the Tuesday off, like it was this year. Okay, but not Berlin. Not Berlin. Because we only had um, we just had one group of kids knock at the door looking for for trick or treats, and half of them hadn't even bothered to dress up. The lazy shits. <laughs> Kids these days, eh? Anyway, so let's start with the biggest game of the week and the biggest result of the week, Manchester City's win over Barcelona. First of all, let's start by saying what a cracking game it was, eh? Yeah, it was uh, very interesting for the neutral. Um, I mean, as a United fan, obviously I didn't like the outcome, but it's kind of choosing between two evils. You want Barcelona or Man City to win. Um, Gundogan. What a player. Two goals again. We're getting on to Gundogan already? Yeah, let's go with it. Yeah, yeah I yeah, mean, yeah. okay. he was the man of the match for me. I don't know about you guys, but, uh, you know, two goals for the second game in a row. He had an assist in the one before against West Brom. I mean, he's really, really coming into a stride and um, is showing why Pep waited so long to sign him. You know, he was injured when he signed for City. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, Ian and I, Ian and I spoke about this a few weeks ago, and I think you sort of mentioned that he probably hasn't looked like the player that you, he thought they were, you know, they thought he was going to be initially. Mm-hmm. Um, but Gundogan's not exactly, a, you know, if you look at, up the definition of athlete in the dictionary, you wouldn't really see a, a photo of him. He's a bit stockier. He sort of waddles rather than glides across the pitch, and, and particularly when he comes back from long-term injuries, it takes him a while to get back into the swing of things. We saw it a few years ago when he came back from his long-term injury with um, with Dortmund and it did take him sort of two months to really find his, his feet again and I think we're starting to see that with, with City. A bit of a slow start but um, the last couple of games in particular he's really stood out. 
I mean, besides his technique, I think what um, makes him stand out is just his, his ability to make decisions. So he plays the dangerous um, pass, or, like he creates opportunities in the right in the right moments. Like he's not that kind of player who always looks for the player in the box. Sometimes he plays the easy pass. Um, so for me, he's like a more offensive alternative to a Tony Cruz, maybe. Correct. Yeah. Plays a bit more up front. A little bit more dynamic as well. Probably moves around the pitch. Um, you know, sort of stop start a little bit, whereas Cruz just sort of glides, passes off. And back again. While you're saying he's not that athletic, um, he he has a certain pace with the ball. Like if he wants it, if he sees a, 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 an opportunity to run into the box uh, and, and have a triple, maybe one player or two, he he's quite paceful. Yeah, no doubt. It's just more. I think that you know he's a little bit stocky. You know, um, he doesn't exactly move around with a lot of grace, um, but certainly certainly quick enough and, and, like you said, makes the right decisions, which makes his physical abilities a lot quicker He's as well. He's the sort of intelligent player that fits into a Guardiola side. Spot on. Yeah. yeah. Guardiola had some interesting comments about him. He said, uh, we need him. Without him, we could, we could not achieve our target. It's impossible. For a man who stresses the collective so often as Pep Guardiola does, that's pretty amazing comment on Gundogan. Yeah, but does you know does he stress the collective? Because he always, wherever he's been, he's always had that one player that he kind of picks out, or m maybe it's not that one player, but every season or every few months, you know, it was Alaba at um, mm -hmm. at Bayern, then it was Kimmich when Kimmich came through, and he he always picks this one player. Oh, Lam is the most intelligent player I've ever you know played with or coached. He always picks these, and he. He does stress the collective, but he knows how to pick out the individuals and, and push them up. And I guess this was kind of like to push Gundogan to continue this run of form. Exactly. The, the last the last thing you said. I don't think that Pep says anything in public that he doesn't want to to um, have a certain effect. Yeah. Like he just he doesn't speak out of his gut like this. If he says that, he has an intention about Gundogan. And maybe he wants to give him his support in public Stuff like that. I think he is about the collective at the end of the day. He knows um, he knows that his midfield has to fit together like it's a bunch of uh, individual puzzle pieces, basically. But um, when, he, when he talks about Alaba or Lam, it was all in certain moments when they needed um, to be said out loud in public, those things. And he also maybe wants to to distract from other topics maybe in the team because he, he's rather have people talk about how important Gundogan is for him instead of picking other players and, and criticizing them and asking Pep what, what's wrong with him, what's wrong with him. It's nice to see Sergio Aguero do so well too, who was playing like he had a point to prove. And well, he, he really, he kind of had a point to prove after being left out against Barcelona the last time. I mean, I think it was, you know, being left out, but also seemed like he had seen the memes online that Carrick outpaced him in the League <laughs> Cup because he really was on you a couldn't tear. couldn't resist, could you? No, I yeah. mean, <laughs> Carrick did outpace him, first of all. No, but One thing um, I wanted to say here before Fab continues his point, he was calling himself the meme master yesterday for, at some point. I am the meme master of one football. <laughs> um, no, but um, Aguero was, I think, key to freeing up these other players. And as good as Gundogan was, and for me, he was the man of the match, it was Aguero's, you know... Handball? Well, yes, his handball, but just his, his direct running, his just the fact that he really pressed and pressured City's backline so much 
that it freed up the other players to kind of attack. The two things I would say about that, I've never seen as much dirt on Sergio Aguero's kit as I have before, which is not really an indication of how much work he is, but kind of. Also, do you think it's a bit pointless getting Aguero to do all that pressing? I mean, what he's good at is, you know, standing on the last edge of the, on the last shoulder of the defender and, you know, attacking gold. Do you really need him running around closing down defenders all the time? He's he's not really built for that, is he? I mean, they just beat Barcelona 3-1, so maybe maybe it does work. Yeah. It can be a mix. You, you don't press for 90 minutes. Sometimes you, there's spells of possession where you do control the game in a slower manner, and there he can play off the, you know, the final man. Yeah, and I mean, this was a little bit of a different city as well, a little bit of a different Guardiola team, if you will. He acknowledged himself. They played a lot more direct, a few more longer balls. Yeah, that was interesting, like that. I thought. Yeah, mm. so, um, you know, potentially this is not a role that we're going to see Aguero in week in, week out, but it was the role that he had to play um, against Barcelona. And uh, yeah, it was, as, as Fab pointed out, it was to good effect. How significant a result is this for City, beating, beating somebody as big as Barcelona? Do you think it'll finally give them confidence to go further in the competition? Uh, it will definitely give them some momentum. Um, but for me, I'm not really sure what I have, what I should think about Barcelona in that match. It's not just that Man City was like so dominating that Barcelona didn't didn't have a chance. Yeah, because right? for the first 40 minutes, Barca were pretty much in control. I would have said. And if you look back at the goals, right, the first one, um, it was Man City basically pressed early against uh, Barcelona and then the equalizer came. Mm-hmm. The second one, a direct free kick. Which like, is beautiful. It was beautiful, but it was still the, go- uh, the goalie's corner, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, Ter Stegen's footwork was, was off on that one. Yeah, Exactly. And then the third one was a handball by Aguero. So the first goal, individual mistake, second one, arguable, and the third one, a handball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, you know... Uh, you you have to work hard to to get that kind of luck and and to be to be just standing in the right position and so on. So I'm not saying it's a lucky win, but still they they got away with three points and now they have to build up the momentum. I think. Yeah, I think City have sort of flirted with arriving in the Champions League for several <laughs> years now. And to be honest, that you know they haven't really. They, they haven't done that yet. And I think when they start winning games... Well, they did get to the semi-final last year. Yeah, but when they start winning games in semi-finals, I right. think then you can say that they're mm-hmm. a Champions League. They certainly didn't show up at semi-finals. Exactly right, yeah. yeah. Okay. There was also talk of a fight in the tunnel afterwards. Anybody else hear this? It's been quickly dismissed, but... Yeah, they've uh, been a bit of bad mood, haven't they, Barcelona, recently? Yeah. Neymar pushing guys downstairs and Messi getting a bit riled up. Um Apparently. Apparently. Well, apparently the dress, the Manchester City dressing room door was closed when Messi was shouting at it. Right. Which, you know. That's like when, you know, when people hold you back and you say, oh, if, if he wasn't here, mate, yeah, you'd yeah. be toast. Go yeah. and have a go if, if you <laughs> think you're If this door wasn't locked, I'd be in there cracking skulls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the one thing that struck me during this match, <clears throat> excuse me, bit of a Berlin flu at the moment, um, is how much... I don't know if anybody else thought about this, but I much preferred watching Pep's Barcelona to Luis Enrique's Barcelona. Huh. I enjoyed watching that midfield of Xavi, Iniesta and Busquets rather than Busquets, who's out of form, Rakitic, who... Hmm. Is it as much about the personalities there now than than the actual style of play? I mean, back then, yeah, you know, Busquets is the common factor. Iniesta's still there, but Xavi, of course, was there. You know, say what you want about Neymar, the player, but... 
he can grind up a little bit when he's a little bit petulant and, and Suarez, of course, hardly the most likable of players. So is it is it much about the personality as the style of play? Or? I think that's I think that's probably part of it. I also think it's a bit more FC Hollywood now. Yeah, sure. Whereas yeah. before they had I know they used to go on about it a lot about La Masia and all that. Yeah. But it was still a lovely thing. Yeah. That they had a very homegrown team yeah. that that won the Champions League and was so brilliant. Maybe ba- that's part of it. Basically Lionel Messi himself represents a change, you know. Think of him Oh yeah, how he behaved. I wanted to say um, in public under under Pep and how he does now. Yeah, so I think it goes alongside. Yeah, he looks straight out of the trailer park now, as opposed to you know <laughs> the geeky little awkward kid he was uh, under Guardiola. One thing I forgot to mention actually in our conversation about Gundogan a little bit earlier, um, Man United paid or somebody paid uh, Mina Raiola twenty four million for the Pogba yeah. deal, whereas Gundogan himself cost just twenty million. Yeah. In total, yep. Gundogan's former club, of course, playing last night. How do you watch this? Mm-hmm. But the more interesting thing was probably happening off the pitch. Yeah, Almiang and late withdrawal. Apparently, his match kit was all laid out, um, nice and warm for him to wear. And then the uh, the report is that he uh, jumped on his phone um, when he in the no phone zone or Thomas Tuchel's no phone zone, and as a consequence was booted out of the, the match day squad and ended up looking like Inspector Gadget in the stands. Um, <laughs> he really did look like Inspector yeah. Gadget. Yeah. There's Tinder everywhere. Yeah, so, that's true. You know. yeah. Um, especially in, uh, even in Dortmund. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a very temporary suspension. He's back in action. If they were playing today, he would have played. He would have played. So it was a very late call, but a very short one. And I wouldn't read too much into it, to be honest. The fact that it was in the stands... Yeah, I think there's no problem. So he's not off to Real Madrid anytime soon. Uh, wait for the English press to speculate, but I think it's going to take a bit more than a than a phone infringement to to send him off. I'd also heard that it was possibly because he was on a trip to Italy on Monday. Okay, and Thomas Tuchel was not too happy about that. He was off partying, but then that's just allegedly. Sure, right. We don't deal in rumors, do we? No, we don't. Anything else interesting from that match? Not really. No, I mean it's just to prove again. I think this Dortmund side is going to swing wildly between. Entertaining and frustrating. And, um, you know, there's moments where Dortmund were putting together moves that any club in Europe would like to be putting together. But then there's moments where they just look like they could be cut open at any time. So um, this team's going to take a while to come together. I think there's probably some doubts about Tuchel's um, methods with certain players, also with the transfer dealings. But I think long run it'll be okay. But there, there will be some frustrating moments for Dortmund as much as some interesting ones. Okay. Speaking of entertaining... How about that Mesut Ozil? Oh, Ooh. I saw somebody wrote on Twitter that they would leave their wife for the goal. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that good. Yeah, and like it, it looked like he, it looked like he made it almost harder than he had to. Yeah, you know, um, especially it was the winning goal. You know, otherwise it would have been a draw probably. Um, but I, I think if you're Mesut Ozil and you know you you what you can do with the ball. You don't even think about it. You just know it's right. Like there's no decision being made there. He just knows, okay, I lop the goalie. And then if somebody comes, well, I just, you know, step back and they'll slide they by and I just score easy. You know, it's always nice to see a defender being left on their arse. Ah, but or two of them. <laughs> or two of them in this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit like you sort of wish you could get hit over the head and watch that goal for the first time again. Yeah. It's how I feel about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Like, you know, the first time you watch it, it you know, it'll always be the best. <laughs> right. Well, it's, a, it's, it's your favourite movie. It's a classic. Is it, your, it is your favourite movie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen it? I mean, it shouldn't be that surprising. Well, yeah. I, <clears throat> I was actually a big Robin Hood fan when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. I was really, yeah. Quite into it, and so that was a a seminal moment in my childhood. I had the I had the the promotion poster. On ah, the wall. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the burning arrow. The burning arrow. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. And yeah. Kevin's mullet. Yeah. Burning, burning into my heart. What a man! Can, yeah. can somebody explain Fabian what we're talking about? Is this the cartoon uh, version of Robin Hood? Mm, we need to talk later, oh, mate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as good as Uzzel's goal was, old nasty Nico over there reckons Robert Lewandowski did something even better. Except he didn't score. Except he didn't score. <laughs> Just for the people who right. missed it, Nico, maybe you could describe what happened. Okay, first of all, the, the wow effect was bigger for me when I watched Lewandowski. Um, so what happened was that Lewandowski gets a ball, like he's standing at the corner of the six-yard box, and he does that Bergkamp-esque turning um, around the player. Yes, he finished against the, the crossbar, right? but just that first touch, it's... Amazing. The, Whereas, aware, the awareness to do it. The awareness to do it. He knows where the player is. Technically perfect. Um, and no doubt, Ozil's uh, goal was great, right? But Ozil also, he had the goalie in front of him and a little bit more time in between his actions to, to do it. Um, at the end, he's the winner because he scored the goal. But my personal wow effect was bigger with Lewandowski because it looked so dynamic. I mean, honestly, I was not impressed at all with uh, Lewandowski's thing. I watched the replay because <laughs> I didn't... impressed at all? No, no not impressed at all. And I'll tell you why. I was watching the replay because I didn't watch the Bayern game. And uh, when when he flicked it over the defender, right, and turned and then hit the crossbar, I was like, is the ball coming back to him? When is the cool thing going to happen? Like, honestly, I'm not even joking. A anyone who's played football to a reasonable level will know that it's not that difficult. Burkamp, you can't even compare to what Burkamp did. Burkamp, that turn was otherworldly. Lewandowski just flicked the ball over defender, turned and ran onto it and hit it against the crossbar. But that's the FIFA playing spoiled generation of where everything is possible and everything <laughs> works, you know, like perfect skills and you watch free kickers on YouTube and they have their skills and all that sort of stuff. It's really hard to do. I've scored better goals. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> I hate freestyle football. Just want to throw that in there. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Ian. Ian. Yeah, cheers. <laughs> Feel a bit left out over there, mate. Yeah, no, a little yeah. bit. Uh, was Bale's goal even better than Ozil's? That was a belter, wasn't it? It <laughs> was wasn't pretty good. It wasn't as quite as good because, I mean, it was a beautiful hit. But, I mean, Ozil's the, the, the lead up and everything like that, I think, makes it a bit more memorable for me. Better. You know, they're both fantastic Any goals. other week, yeah. he's winning goal of the week, though. Yeah, yep. yeah. It okay. really felt like a, a, you know, I, I felt like we had a few quieter Champions League match days so far this season. And I felt like this week it was back, you know, like it was, there were good goals, there were upset results, there were, you know, um, yeah, it, it really felt like it was back, Champions League, for the three, first time this season. The three Varsho goals were good too. Very good, very yeah. good, yeah. Um, speaking of Lewandowski, was there anything interesting to say about the Bayern game? Well, besides the, the referee decisions, <laughs> not so much. I mean, Eindhoven's goal was two meters offside. Mm -hmm. um, Bayern was not given a penalty. And then later the penalty they got was not a penalty. Um, but I mean, other than that, it's not that Bayern won because of any referee decisions, right? It was actually well-deserved and that's it. Just on Lewandowski, he looked like he was in a pretty bad mood all night. 
Did you notice? Like, I mean, yeah, he obviously got pulled down a few times. I think it was Mourinho. It was really into him all night, you know. You could just sort of tell he was the sort of guy who would be pinching him when, the, you know, the ref wasn't looking. He was in a bad mood all night. Now, funny that you should mention Bayern Munich. They're playing Hoffenheim this weekend. Now, there have been plenty of interesting stories coming out of the Bundesliga this season. We talked about Leipzig before, but one we've not addressed is Hoffenheim and Julian mm. Nagelsmann. They're annoyingly good 28-year-old manager. Annoying. 29 good. by now. Is he 29 by now? Oh, okay. 29-year-old manager. He's still annoyingly good yeah. and annoyingly young. Has this been the story of this season, do you think? Um, one of the stories, yeah. One of the top <laughs> Get stories. off the fence. Oh, come on. You have to be sitting <laughs> on the fence there. Uh, all right. Tell the people what he's done. Okay, well... First of all, it's one of the stories just because, you know, he started off really well last season already. So he's just continuing his really good job. So top 50 stories this season, you'd say. Uh, I'd say <laughs> top three. Top three. Okay, we'll yeah. take it. Yeah. Um, what he has done is he replaced, look, he was supposed to take over the first team of Hoffenheim at the beginning of the season. Then Hoffenheim um, was playing a really bad year last season. Um, they got a coach, Hoop Stevens, um, who was supposed to rescue them um, from relegation. He had um, health problems. And what um, what the management of Hoffenheim then decided was to bring, bring on Julian Nagelsmann, I don't know, um, almost half a year earlier than he was supposed to. So he, he saved Hoffenheim from relegation, and now this season he's continuing his run with them. Um, and since he took over, only Bayern and Dortmund have earned more points. Yeah. He just, the win against Leverkusen, if you're thinking about a Nagelsmann-era table, uh, the win against Leverkusen made Hoffenheim overtake Leverkusen in that table. So since he took over, it's Bayern, Dortmund, Hoffenheim, and then Leverkusen um, with the most points. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. It is incredible, considering that... The squad, I'd say, just going by the names, is less... I would have less expectations on, on that squad than I would have on, on previous Hoffenheim squads. You're thinking like the one uh, when they first came to the Bundesliga with Demba Ba and... Retrospectively like now, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they played a really good year. You shouldn't forget about that, you know. Also, mm-hmm. they had a Vidat Ibizovic back then who's Luis now... Gustavo. Who's now scoring goals Gustavo, for Hertha yeah, in Bundesliga? Luis Gustavo, yeah. Carlos Eduardo, and so on. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not that big of a surprise in general that Hoffenheim is in the top ten. I would say in the top half of the Bundesliga when they when they came up to the first league, um, they had a run just like Leipzig is having a run right now, and they even finished as Herbstmeister. Um, they finished first after uh, the first half of the season, um, but. What's so special about the situation now that is that there's a certain um, cons- consistency in his success and the way he wins games. It's just there's there there just few things that would make me um, have doubt about whether they're gonna win next week and the week after. Like every match, there's a high probability that they win or at least win a point. Yeah, I think um, there's a real plan. and You know, he's come in with a plan and, you know, this is a guy who had to finish his his playing career quite early and has been able to dedicate almost 10 years of 
figure out what his plan is and he's lucky <laughs> enough to get this opportunity of Hoffenheim but he's he's taking advantage of that and yeah as Nico pointed out they've got some good players but perhaps no stars but it's more about the plan and the, and the, also the belief that he seems to give these young players I mean this is he's a few years older than most than, than some of them to be honest then when the captain when he came in was three years older than him so you know how do you deal with that as a 29 year old in your first full-time gig and he's done that with a plum yeah he said he was very nervous before going into that first uh team speech yeah, but, back in February but, when he but, took over. But, you know, like I also think that there's an advantage that just assuming that he is really smart, um, there's an advantage for him because he he is not a former professional, you know, he, he who does most of it just because of his career and so on. He's really scientific about everything he does. He's scientific about what he says, how he speaks, um, to the team about his training methods. Um, there's a reason behind everything and a plan as well. Um, and that's something that stands out with Hoffenheim because it's such a young club. They got to to build all the structures inside the club and it's the bigger picture, um, let's say, in the last 10 years. So everything works. Everybody works together. You know, and It's just a really well-functioning club, which most of the established clubs don't have. They would basically have to reinvent themselves. They go into the game against um, Bayern as the only undefeated team in the Bundesliga, which is yeah. pretty incredible. Yeah. They've won five on the bounce in the league. Do you think they could trouble Bayern this weekend? Get away oh, with a draw even? Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, speaking of Hoffenheim, one of their players, or at least one of their former players, is making his debut in Munich tonight. Tim Weiser. Tim Visa. Tim Visa. Tim Visa. Tim Visa. In... Not in football, but in the WWE. This is a pretty incredible, Fab. Yeah, I mean, anyone who kind of knows of him or follows him on social media will have seen that in the last couple of years, he's put on a lot of weight. Um, I mean, he was already a big guy as a footballer. I think he was he weighed around ninety kilos. Uh, he's six foot four, um, big goalkeeper, kind of like a, a less good Oliver Kahn, you know, like aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's he's up to around 120 or 130. 130 kilograms. Yeah. 130 kilograms. Um, he's, That's 20 stone for anybody out there who's in. He's he's massive, like um, and and most of that is muscle as well. Um, mm-hmm. And he has kind of, I mean, like you said, he's debuting in the WWE. That's the the pinnacle of professional wrestling, um, and so he's kind of done it in two very competitive sports which is which is incredible to me but um he's also kind of reinvented himself uh, as a character you know he's been on tv in germany a lot he kind of did that little undertaker thing on tv um sorry what he there was a there was a video series um which aired after i believe it was either bundesliga or champions league and he buried his old self basically he buried tim visa the goalkeeper and came out as Tim Visa the wrestler, which was very weird. You know, it's debatable whether or not you're into that kind of stuff. But what's not debatable is that he's finally made it to the WWE, which is the top of professional wrestling. He's eating more than a kilogram of meat per day. Jesus. <laughs> See, I don't know if that's healthy, but I also don't, I don't think that's that much. I could eat a kilogram of meat a day. 
See, no, I don't think you it, couldn't. See, yes, I, don't I, could. think, I don't think Not you could. over a, like an extended period. Listen, no way. Three meals a day, right? You yeah. buy one of those chicken things from Reva or any supermarket, <laughs> right? That's five. That's five hundred or four hundred fifty grams. Yeah, so which is half a kilogram. That's, that's two breasts of chicken. Is yeah, that a, is it a bet building up? Right I do. Here right yeah. Now? yeah. I'm yeah. I I could do this for three weeks. I'm telling you, I could eat a kilogram of meat every single day. Tell you what, you would not look like Tim Vizier at the end. I wouldn't. I would yeah. look very different, <laughs> but I could do it. <laughs> you Does just also spend need to spend a lot of time in the solarium, get terrible haircuts as well, <laughs> and a lot of terrible tribal tattoos, yeah. <laughs> and a green Lamborghini. Yeah. Does he have a green Lamborghini? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He's got <laughs> so the Tim Vizier is that guy who has his wet look hair all to the back. Um, he used to wear pink tight pink goalie jerseys when he played for Bremen and he drives a green Lamborghini. I find it odd that he buries his, his old self because he'd had a really decent career for um, in Germany. He's had, cap yeah. Captain of Hoffenheim. Yeah. Uh, he got a couple of caps for Germany. It hadn't ended well though. Like he, he was suspended by Hoffenheim, um, developed a bit of a drinking problem, which he's sort of freely admitted before and sort of took him a while to... You know, he, was, he just sat on that contract for the last almost year and a half, yeah, exactly. was earning massive money, but playing zero minutes, not even training. Um, he might turn up to the odd game. Um, and I guess towards the end of that, he realized that drinking wasn't probably uh, you know the right thing for his future and started just working out. And I think it started with a few, yeah. you know, selfies at the gym and, and it sort of spiraled on from there. So I, okay. saw him, I saw him on German TV the other week. And, um, so this is a big thing in Germany at the moment. Uh, Not just listen, the moment. Yeah, he's been. I'm excited about it. <laughs> like I was never a big Tim Visa fan, right? He, he was good, um, he, but he's just fun. He's a character, right? He's fun to watch. Anyways, so I saw him on German TV, and he explained how he went to the states to, I think Florida it was. Yes, yeah, Florida. Yeah. To the casting of the WWE, right? And he thinks he comes there, and every, like he gets the full attention from the people. But it was just like a massive, uh, massive almost public casting and after three or four hours in he decides fuck this boys he takes his entourage um and they go to disneyland or disney world right. whatever you call it in florida and it's like nah we didn't fly over here to just be one of a dozen um so they leave they go to disney world and then they get a follow-up call me like hey come on um big german i don't know what they call them <laughs> Uh, do you want to come in again tomorrow and, and try this again? So he goes in again the next day and then he basically shows him and convinces them that he's the, yeah, he's the logical one too. Does he have a wrestling do name yet? Like Tim the Terminator or Tim the Terrible? Or I, I don't think so. I think that'll probably be unveiled tonight um, in Munich. Okay, well, he is teaming up with WWE superstars Cesaro and Seamus. Oh, like, Seamus. Is he Irish? Yeah, he is. Well, he's he's... Ostensibly Irish, yeah. So he's got ginger hair. Yes, okay. very ginger, yeah. <laughs> uh, to compete against WWE tag team The Shining Stars and Bo Dallas in a six-man tag team, which sounds like something that might happen at Burkheim, um, <laughs> at the Munich Olympic Stadium. I mean, if you're into that, and I was into it years ago. What, Burkheim? Not Burkheim. <laughs> <laughs> um, WWE, it was WWF at the time. Yeah. Um. I'm sure it'll be great. I picked out other footballers who had interesting um, afterlifes or who quit football for, to go into something afterlifes. else. Buried themselves. Yeah, sort of buried yeah. themselves. <laughs> the ex-Turkey and Besikta striker Ian Manzes went into professional figure skating. <laughs> Mehmet Scholl, as you probably know, founded an indie record label and took up nine-pin bowling. 
<laughs> I didn't even know there was such a thing as nine-pin bowling. An ex-St. Pauli keeper, Volker Ippig, swapped football for life as a dock worker. Hmm. Yeah. There's also um, Holger Stanislavski, yeah. who was a coach at Pauli and, and Cologne. Hoffenheim and as well. Hoffenheim yeah. as well. He stopped coaching and he now runs a supermarket in Hamburg. Lovely. Good for him. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's give Dan a call. Download One Football, the most comprehensive football app in the world. Now, this weekend sees the latest installment of the North London Derby, and with the two sides in some serious form, this promises to be a good one. Joining us to talk about that is Dan Fitch from Tottenham Blog. Dan, uh, before we get to that, let's start off with the midweek match against Leverkusen. What did you make of the performance? Were you one of the fans booing at the end of the match? I wasn't booing, but I can completely understand those that did. Uh, it was the worst performance of the season. It didn't seem like uh, the players were taking much responsibility and they were, the, the effort wasn't really there. Um, and, and yeah, it's not, it's not easy for the fans to get to Wembley. You know, the, it's an expensive night out. So yeah, if they want to boo, um, I think it's kind of justified, to be honest. What, what made it, I mean, what, what makes you describe it as the worst performance? It, it just felt very... I mean, the whole atmosphere at Wembley is flat, which doesn't help, and I'm sure that doesn't help the players. Um, but there's certain players who seem so low on confidence. Christian Eriksen's one who really stands out. I mean, he, he's 24 now. He should be, like, grabbing games by the, the scruff of the neck. But he but he, he just seems to be playing the simple ball. Dembele, before he came off, he, he was poor. He's not found his form of last season. So we really are lacking in inspiration at the moment. One uh, you did mention there was uh, Sissoko, Dan. Um, he was pretty poor and it's probably had a, a rough couple of weeks, to be honest. So Sissoko, yeah, I generally give new, new signings the benefit of the doubt, but Sissoko is uh, testing a lot of people's patience on that one. Um, he, he does... He played very well against Manchester City. That's the one game he's really shown what he could do. But uh, last night, it was a bit of a horror show. Um, but I would say he at least was trying to do things. He was trying to beat people, often not very successfully. But you know, that that was refreshing to me that he was actually uh, had the confidence in himself to, to to keep plugging away. Other players were taking the easy way out and just passing sideways and you know, not trying to impose themselves on the game. So, you know, in the, in the league, Tottenham is three points off the top. It's looking okay. Um, but in the Champions League, you guys have two goals. And um, I think it's a 6% conversion rate. So it seems like, you know, there's a bit of a... There, or there is a stark difference between the Tottenham in the Premier League and the Tottenham in the Champions League. What do you think about that? I mean, we've rotated the squad a little in the Champions League. Uh, where, whereas I think we are... The Premier League is where we're we're always trying to pick our strongest side, so I think that comes into it a little. I think we're on on both competitions. We're really missing Harry Kane. All that he's not just his goals. The the way he he plays across the whole width of the pitch, he creates so much space for people, and that helps to create chances. We're just not creating chances at the moment, and we're letting in the odd sloppy goal in the Champions League where. We're in the Premier League. We we seem to be carrying on defending pretty well, really. 
I mean, speaking of the league, you do have the best defence, maybe not the best attack at the moment, and you're the only team that are unbeaten. Just You're just three points behind Man City. But there still seems like there's that air of frustration about the club too, isn't there? Yeah, um, I mean, the, the fans uh, can be a moany bunch at Spurs. and uh, But yeah, I think we do have to get it into perspective. We've, we've not played well. If you look at the positives, to not play well and still be three points off the top, unbeaten in the Premier League... That that is a massive positive, and I don't. I think a lot of clubs would struggle if they had the key players missing that we've had all season. It's not just Kane. We've got Alderweireld out at the moment. We've had Luis out, Rose out, Dembele out at various times. I think any club would would, would struggle with with that. So no one's really. There's very few players who've found their best form yet. So as long as we can kind of hang in there, I'm, I'm positive that we can get back to the levels that we saw in the Manchester City game where, where we really bossed them. One of the players sort of struggling is, is Vincent Janssen as well. He hasn't quite performed as he did in the Eredivisie. Yeah, I mean, again, looking at the positives of Janssen, I'm pleased with, like, he's very, he seems to have the raw tools, the strength, the way he can hold the ball up. That's something that new players of the Premier League can often struggle with. So he's got that. I feel uh, with him, his confidence isn't quite there. He, he's, part, again, passing the buck, passing the ball rather than like being greedy and shooting, which he might have done last season in, in Holland. Uh, his movement needs work as well. He's quite static. He plays across the width of the box, really, where Kane is more the width of the pitch. Uh, so it's like, tactically, he, his presence is slightly altering things. Um, moving on to the derby, um, Arsenal looking in pretty imperious at the moment. Are, are you a little bit scared about how it could end up? I mean, these days I, I don't actually go into North London derby scared. I used to be terrified when we used to have players like Raul Fox and Alan Nilsson going up against Vieira and Petit. But um, no, I, I, I fancy our chances. I fancy, I've I just got a strange feeling, even though we're playing terribly, we haven't won in six games. I do think that we'll be up for it for this one and 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 hopefully reaching the levels that we, we found against Manchester City. Um, uh, I don't think we'll lose. A draw, which wouldn't be a great result for us in terms of, of points, but uh, uh, in the context of the match, a draw wouldn't be too bad, I suppose. Where do you think uh, Spurs can get at them? I, I still worry about their defence. Uh, I don't ask Norms, well, I don't worry about it. <laughs> I consider it a weak spot still. Um, you know, I don't think they'll... they'll enjoy, if we can press as we can, uh, I don't think they'll enjoy that too much. Uh, I, I think they still perhaps lack a, a clinical finisher, although Sanchez has done well in, in a forward role this season. So I don't think they're the finished article by any means. I'm not sure there is one in the Premier League. There's just five or six pretty good, evenly matched teams. And um, is there any chance that Kane and Lamella will be fit and ready to play? I think Lamella, it was just a hip injury in, in training. I don't think it's anything massive. So I think he will come into the team because I think there's a real there's a real question mark with Ericsson's last performance, whether he'll play at all. Um, so I expect Lamella to come back. Kane is... Pochettino is, is still being cagey about it uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's at least on the bench 
That was Dan Fitch from Tottenham Blog. Anybody else? I'm quite excited about this North London derby. Anybody else? I was, yeah. Yeah, these big games in the Premier League, they they always they always disappoint me a little bit. And um, I think that, you know, the managers are always, or not always, sometimes a bit more worried about losing than they are about winning. And I think that's what sort of happened with Liverpool and United uh, to an extent, maybe more on one side than the other. But uh, um, I think Spurs do have some problems, though. I mean, I was looking at their squad and, and their bench and who they were able to bring on last night when they needed a bit of a twist. And they, they got rid of a lot of squad players over the summer and I think largely it was a good decision, but a few injuries and that squad starts to get a little bit thin and there's a lot of kids on that bench which uh, I'm not sure if Pochettino trusts or you know for them to be ready yet. And I think that, that hurts them a little bit. But uh, certainly if Kane can get back, it's a, it's a completely different game. Do you know what hurts me? What? Dan slagging off Rural Fox. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I as a former winger, Rural Fox, I used to like how he played, how he got up and down the wing. Um, former Norwich player, of course. It's lovely, good move for him. Question: We have a question from our listener, a listener. Not, not that we just have one listener. I'm sure we have more than that. It was have, the pick of the questions, was it? Uh, well, yeah, it was one of them. Yeah, yeah. the best yeah. question we got, we could say. Yeah, that's, yeah. it's the best question we got. <laughs> it's from a guy calling himself the Mad Engineer on Twitter. Didn't know your mum was on Twitter. <laughs> hey. uh, he wants to know who's going to win the league, the Premier League. The Premier League. I think now is a sort of a decent enough time. You've seen enough games out of people that you could make an, another wild prediction. Ooh. I would like. <laughs> I would like to say before we'll get to you in a second. <laughs> I would like to say before the season started, I said Manchester United, and boy, am I feeling stupid. Well, I said Liverpool and I still say Liverpool because Jurgen Klopp is going to win the Premier League this year. Did you really say Liverpool? Yes, I did. Might have to go back and listen to that. We're probably not going to go back and listen to I'm it. probably not going to yeah. go back and listen to <laughs> Paddy? I think I said Chelsea. Um, and to be honest, I think they've still got a lot of improvement to do. But I'm not sure if City are going to start building a little bit of a lead that a few people are going to find hard to catch. So um, it's easy to say that the people on top now are the favourites. Um, but I, I think that, you know, with the, the improvement that they'll, they're starting to show under Guardiola, even though they had that barren patch but still, you know, got through it on top of the table, I think City are going to win it. I said United. I still say United. They're only eight points off the top. <laughs> okay, they're eight points off the top. But if you look at the way they've played in the last few weeks, especially in the Premier League, the performances are there. It's just the goals aren't there. And you can bet that Watford and Everton will drop off, the two teams ahead of them. I also don't think that Liverpool will be anywhere near the top four by the end of the season. So... I think United has a very good chance. Okay. That's all from us today. My thanks to Fabian, Nico, Etta, 90s, Paddy Higgs, Dan, and our <laughs> producer, Damien. If you have anything to say about this week or would like to get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Facebook at OneFootball. Thanks for listening.